Welcome to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Today we'll hear from lead pastor Dave Carroll as he teaches a message titled, Truth. Let's join in now. So as we get into our message, a few questions, and I'm, I'm learning to get into the habit of it, and it's fun, and if you know it, say it loud. Uh, Elevation, do you have your pen? Do you have your notes? Do you have your Bible? Nice. Fantastic. Uh, If you're new, uh, you can turn over the program, and on the back there are notes that you can follow along with, some blanks uh, to help keep you going. And uh, I've heard it, uh, Pastor Fred say this many times over my time in ministry, that if you'll take the time to write it down on a piece of paper, uh, it gives God a little bit of extra time to write it down on your heart. And so I encourage you to write it down today. Now, as we talk about the truth, I'm going to share with you uh, one of my greatest falsehoods. And it revolves around Christmas. And uh, I know that there are varying opinions about Santa Claus. And can we just push the, all those aside for just a second? Uh, I, I remember one of the, the funnest things I've ever done as a dad was convincing my two oldest boys, Aiden and Drew, that I was the real Santa Claus when they were between three and five years old. And I had them so convinced that they wouldn't, when they went to school, they wouldn't even tell their friends because I said, shh, no one can know. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and I thought in my heart, well, while I may not be exactly the Santa Claus they're thinking of, if I went away, there wouldn't be presents under the tree. And that was my truth, right? Uh, <clears throat> but uh, as time went by, I simply just started telling them the movie Santa Claus with Tim Allen in it. And, I, and that, that was the story of my life. I essentially told them it was a biography of me. And, and so they came to know this, and, and they trusted me. And I remember the day where I picked Aiden up from school. He was in uh, the first grade, and he said, Dad... I'm mad at you. I went, why? Why are, why are you mad at me? Well, it was in December. And he said, I told somebody. And I went, what did you tell him? I wasn't even thinking about it. He said, I told him that you're the real Santa Claus. And they laughed at me. <laughs> I hung my head and I looked and I said, well, yeah, okay. So now you know uh, the truth. Now you know what's really happening with that story. And, uh, and, and I did tell him, I did argue, but if, but if I stopped, if I, if I wasn't here, you would have no presence. So technically, technically, I'm the real Santa Claus. And, and I remember them hearing uh, the truth for the first time. And when we go back to the truth, it often uh, swirls up, it stirs the pot of emotion in our life. Because the truth is something that uh, shines light on the places in our life that aren't right, that aren't true that aren't going the way that God intends them to go. But the light also gives us a path forward. Um, You know, many times when we encounter truth, it gives us a foundation to stand on so that we can move forward in our life. Is anyone interested in moving forward in in their life in the light of Jesus Christ? That's what we're about today. Now, here's the only proper response when you hear real truth. Real truth. It's belief. It's the only proper response. And and belief is not just something we're talking about, an academic ascent. Yeah, oh, I believe that. Yeah, hey, I know the Christmas story. I'm asking you today, do you really embrace the truth of Jesus Christ with a belief that, that says my life is now recklessly abandoned for the cause of Jesus Christ? In other words, I'm selling out 
for Jesus. I'm not just going to check off a box and because Christmas is here, yeah, I'll go to church. I'll check that box off or I'll, yeah, I'll come to Christmas Eve service and invite my family. But I'm talking about has the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ really changed your life? Has it changed your worldview? Has it changed how you live? Has it changed how you treat people? This is the light that that God is lighting up in our dark world this Christmas. When Jesus came, he shined this light of truth that bears, um, it bears uh, all of us in front of God. He can see every part. And, and so today I'm going to do something that I don't normally do, but uh, sometimes you find someone that can say something so well that you have to kind of step aside and let them, uh, let them say it. Uh, to kick off our time in the scripture today, I want us to watch a video by Josh McDowell. Now, Josh McDowell is also the person that we give uh, the free book. We give a free get, uh, book to our guests. And as a matter of fact, if you're a guest, come out to the table after service today. And uh, we'd love to exchange the card for the book. And the book is written by Josh McDowell. He's a great apologist of the Christian faith, meaning he defends the truth of the scripture. And, and so uh, I want you to see... Uh, just a little bit about how true the birth of Christ is today. Check it out. Hi, I'm Josh McDowell. And a little bit of my background so you can understand what I share. As a student in university, I set out to write a book against Christianity. You know one of the things that challenged me? The Old Testament, you know, it was written over a period of about a thousand years, complete about 500 years before Christ. Do you know there's 333 prophecies that I document in my books? 333 prophecies written down about the coming Messiah to identify him. And they were all written down at least 500 years before Jesus was born. I've had professors say to me, oh, come on, McDowell. Uh, They were never written down 500 years before. They were written down at the time of Jesus. So it looked like they coincided with his life. That sounds pretty good unless you want to think why the septuagint now that's a big word but it's a title given to the greek translation of the hebrew old testament in other words they took the entire hebrew old testament including all the prophecies and translated it into greek called the septuagint but history confirms the septuagint was completed right about 200 years before christ So I would say to a professor, you tell me it's not a 500-year gap from these prophecies he's written down, their fulfillment in Jesus. The Septuagint historically proves there was at least a 200-year gap. And you know what I found? I started tracing these prophecies, 300 and some of them, were all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In one day, there were about 15 prophecies fulfilled. And I started to look at all these prophecies and say, wait a minute, what is the probability that these prophecies right down to what his heritage would be, where he would be born, everything. What's the probability that they could be fulfilled in one person's life? There was a man of the name, a Dr. Peter Stoner. He wrote a book called Science Speaks. And as a scientist, he was amazed with these prophecies all fulfilled in Jesus. So what did he do? He took the modern science of probability and applied to these prophecies being fulfilled in Christ. It was mind-boggling. This is what he discovered. The chance of only eight, not 333 prophecies, just the chance of eight of these prophecies being fulfilled in any one individual 
would be one in every one times 10 to 17 zeros. How, how can we comprehend one in every one times 10 to the 17th power? Well, this scientist said this, take the entire state of Texas, two feet deep of silver dollars, the entire state, take one silver dollar, put a little red check on it, and then throw it back in and mix it all up with bulldozers. And then take a person, blindfold them, put a blindfold on them, let them start walking, wading through all those two feet deep of silver dollars in the entire state of Texas. And it just randomly blindfolded, he stops. And he reaches down and he picks up a silver dollar. The chance that in his first pick out of the entire state of Texas, two feet deep of silver dollars, he would pick that check silver dollar is the same probability that just eight of these 333 prophecies could be fulfilled in any one individual. I didn't want to believe that. But intellectually, I was driven to the conclusion Jesus is unique. He's unique in his claims about who he was. He was unique in the evidence he presented and then the resurrection. Oh, I gotta tell you, I thought, come on, no one could be raised the dead. I met a lot of people look like they ought to be, but once you're dead, you're dead, your body's in the grave, that's it. But folks, as I examine the historical evidence, even evidence apart from the Bible, was Jesus Christ raised on the third day? And I concluded this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the greatest hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men and women in history, or it's one of the greatest facts ever. One of the great attorneys in our country who put Harvard Law School in the map, he made this statement. He said the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is greater than almost evidence for any other event historically. And he became a believer. But finally, that December the 19th, at 8.30 night in the university, I had to be intellectually honest. And that night, I simply, the best way I knew how, I just said, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I realized if I were the only person alive, Christ still would have died for me. All the, I, I still get chills thinking about that. Second, I knew the Bible was true. And I knew the Bible said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And so I said, right now I confess my sins. Third, again, I knew the Bible was true. And Jesus said, but to as many as received him, to them give you the right to become a child of God. So right there, I didn't know a lot. I just said, Lord Jesus, I need you. I act upon your promise, come into my life, change me from the inside out. In a period of about six months to a year, year and a half, my entire life was changed. So I can honestly say, Jesus is unique. And I've come to know him as my own unique personal Savior and Lord. So can you. Hey, can we praise the Lord that he is real today and that he exists? Um, aren't you glad that you don't have to check your brains at the door to believe what you believe? And that uh, the birth of Jesus Christ is something that is historically accurate. It's something that is scripturally accurate. And, here, and here's what we know. Um, the truth of Scripture it tells us that when Jesus became a man, when he was a baby, 
that he was fully man, yes, but he was also fully, say it with me, he was fully, he was fully God. And so I want to uh, take just a few minutes today in the scripture and help you connect the Old Testament and the New Testament. I want you to see how Jesus fulfilled the prophecy in the Old Testament. Now, um, I'll, I'll confess to you, if I can give you this message, I know you can understand it. Because, well, I'm a box of rocks sometimes, and my family will let you know that uh, upstairs. I am not the, the world's greatest academia in the world, uh, although I've, I've tried to study as hard as I can. But I know sometimes when we get into these things, some people like to say, well, I'll just, I'll just check out. But today is one of these days where you learn something about the faith that you profess to believe. And these are the kind of things that keep you, um, they, they keep you nailed down in, in the storm. Uh, so many times people will, will waver from the faith when trouble comes or they see something they don't like or the church hurts them or something happens and they kind of move away from Jesus. Well, these are the things that keep us grounded. And so I just want to show you four places in the scripture today where Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of the Old Testament. So here we go. If you're ready, say, I'm ready, Dave. Fantastic. Uh, number one, uh, the person of Jesus was prophesied about. Now, we're going to look in Genesis 49.10. This is one of the earliest prophecies that Jesus would come and be born. Now, for those of you keeping track or maybe taking notes, Genesis was written roughly around 1400 to 1450 B.C. So this is about 14 to 1500 years before Jesus was born. And can you believe it? 1,500 years before Jesus is born, and Jesus was foretold that there would be the birth of a Savior. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm doing good if I can make tomorrow happen the way I want it to happen, right? Is anybody else like that? And this is 1,500 years. Let's uh, look at the prophecy of Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. It's in your notes or on the screen. I would encourage you to stay in the book of Matthew and then just read the, the uh, Old Testament scriptures with me on the notes or on the screen. This is what it says in Genesis 49. The scepter will not depart from, what's that word? Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one of whom it belongs to, to the one whom all the nations will honor. Do you know that here some 14, 1500 years before the birth of Jesus, it was foretold what tribe of Israel Jesus would come out of. Isn't that incredible? How many tribes were there? There were 12 tribes of Israel. And, uh, and Judah was important because Judah was born and he wasn't the oldest. He wasn't the first. But what happened was he had his older brothers. One of them was named Reuben who totally messed up. You can read about that in Genesis. You can read about it in 1 Chronicles 5 as well um, where Reuben totally messes up and because of that, he loses his birthright. And what brother do you think gets hoisted to the top of the family line? Judah. Judah gets hoisted to the top of the family line. And, and what does this tell us? It tells us that God uses not the proud, but he uses the humble, doesn't he? And so all the, already way back in Genesis, um, the birth of the Messiah is being foretold <laughs> is being foretold and that it would be out of humble origins, that he would be someone who would have to be low first and then become esteemed. Do you see how incredible this is that the person of Jesus Christ, even his lineage, was predicted? Now, um, some of you have read the Bible before and you've noticed 
that there's a genealogy in the book of Matthew. Genealogies are some of the most boring reads in all of scripture, aren't they? Uh, Unless you're just one of those family tree people, like my grandma. My grandma sent me a book, some 100 pages long of our family tree. And she's one of those people that loves genealogies, but she's like one in a million, right? I think you'd have to put silver dollars at Phil, Texas. And, uh, you know, the person, whoever picks it up, that's the person that likes genealogies. But Um, what we learn is that the genealogy, you may want to write this down. And remember, this is a little bit headier, and most time we go more practical than this. But today, I want you to know the truth. Um, The difference between the genealogies is this. The one in Matthew is a legal genealogy off of Joseph. In other words, it's spiritual. It tells us that he comes through King David. King David was also out of the lion of the tribe of Judah. There you go. And so what happens here is that Matthew has this legal genealogy, and that's why it's a little different. If you look at the names, some people will say, hey, how come the names are different from Matthew uh, to Luke? Why, why are there different names in there? Well, Luke is the actual bloodline of Jesus through not Joseph, but Mary, through Mary. And so here in Genesis 49, all the way 1,500 years before, the birth of Jesus is prophesied. Does that sound like truth to you? It sounds like truth to me. I can't even fathom it. It gets me excited about our Savior. It gets me excited about worshiping God and singing do 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 You know what I'm saying? Because uh, I, can, <laughs> I can tell you it's worth doing because he's worthy of our worship. Jesus really is who he says he is. Let's look at the second uh, prophecy I want to show you today. You learned today in the video that there were over 300, in fact, 333. Jesus so far has fulfilled over 300 of them. That tells us that the remaining ones are left for not his first coming, but his second coming. That's right. And so here is uh, the second scripture we'll look at today. And I know I'm telling you a little bit less about more scriptures today, and that's okay. Uh, follow with me. Uh, The place was prophesied. Can you believe out of all the places in the world, the place, the city, the town rather, that the Messiah would be born was prophesied in Micah chapter 5-2. And you may want to write this down. This was over 700 years before the birth of Christ. Somewhere between 705 and 745 years. The prophet Micah prophesied that, here's your blank, the Messiah, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Now, let's read the scripture, and then we'll talk a little bit about the importance of the word Messiah. We hear that word tossed around, but I want to unpack it for you today. I want you to understand it, because this is what um, you grab onto in the, in the tough times, that Jesus really is who he says he is. Here's what Micah 5.2 says. But you, oh, what's that word? Read it with me. Bethlehem are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, because that's saying that God has, Jesus is eternal. He existed before he became a man. Whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. And here the prophet Micah prophesied that the Messiah would be born in a little town of Bethlehem. Now if we could throw up the map of Bethlehem, if you want to know where that is, Bethlehem was just a few short miles south of Jerusalem. So there, uh, so you know too, the whole tribe of Judah was in the southern part of the kingdom. So you start getting 
uh, above Jerusalem, and you get into what was known in the Old Testament as the northern kingdom, Israel. But here in the southern, in the southern uh, part, it's the, the, the tribe of Judah, which was ruled by King David. And so all of a sudden, all the dots, and if your head hurts, that's okay, because mine does too. I told you, this isn't, um, this isn't my biggest cup of tea, but I felt compelled to give you the truth of Christmas today. Um, so here, Jesus is born in the little town of Bethlehem, outside of the capital of Jerusalem, just to the south. And, and I want to talk with you a little bit about the word Messiah. In John 141, uh, Andrew said to Peter, after he met Jesus the first time, we have found the Messiah. Now, when we listen to this, this word is so important to our faith. Can I tell you, if the word Messiah goes away, we are fools. We are fools for being here. Because Messiah in the Old Testament first meant to pour liquid over. It was kind of like uh, if, if you were to Messiah something in the Old Testament, it, you could paint your house. It kind of had that connotation. You rolled something liquid over and it stuck, okay? But as it, as it evolved in the Old Testament, there began to be olive oil poured over, which really meant that Messiah meant to anoint someone, with oil, right? And that's where you get that term anointing with oil. It's not some weird thing. It really does exist in the scripture. And then it, it became known in about 28 of the 39 places it's used in the Old Testament. Messiah became known as kings who were anointed by God. Fast forward. The problem with these kings were they were sinful, weren't they? People are sinful. People are messed up. I'm messed up. You're messed up. And we needed not just an anointed leader, but we needed a sinless, spotless sacrifice for our sin. And so the, prophe- the prophecy was that the Messiah, the anointed one of God, who was perfect and sinless, would come to this little lowly place called Bethlehem. And he would save the world from our sins because, see, he's not just anointed, but he is the Lord. You may want to write this down. He is our Lord and he is our Savior. That's why we say you must know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, if you jump over to the New Testament, because many times people have this question. And if we're all honest, about three-quarters of us in the room have thought this before. Man, I see where all these other world religions have started, and it's obvious they have no past behind them. Is the Christian faith really connected? Is it really connected to the Old Testament, or is this just something that started with Jesus? You see the difference? This is why this is so important to your faith, and this will give you the ability to defend it. Well, when you go to the New Testament, the word, the Greek equivalent in the New Testament For Messiah, the anointed one, the one that all the prophecies are about, is, you guessed it, Christ. Christ. That's why we say Jesus Christ, because he is the Messiah. In fact, that word Christ is used 500 times in the New Testament. Why did the writers do that in the New Testament? Because the person and the place of the Messiah had to be confirmed And it was the word that's saying, this isn't just someone who appeared. This is the anointed one who was prophesied all the way back in Genesis 1,400 years ago. Isn't that incredible? Do you see the depth of your faith? Do you feel your your faith right now going down into the ground and taking roots and saying, I am not crazy, you know? 
Now, you might be crazy in some other places. Uh, your wife might think you're crazy. Actually, I'll say your wife knows you're crazy. Um, uh, husbands, you may think your wife is crazy, but most of the time she's not. She's right. Can I get an amen, ladies? That's right. But we're not crazy because Jesus Christ is the anointed one, the Lord, the Savior, the pure one who was prophesied about so long ago, all the way down to the type of person, he would, the tribe of people he would come from, the place he would be born. Let's move on. There was also another thing that was prophesied, and this, this to me is amazing and really connects our faith in an amazing way. Uh, it's the preparation that was prophesied some 675 years before the birth of Jesus. You may want to write that down, 675 years. Here in the book of Isaiah, um, we knew that someone would come not just with Jesus, but before Jesus, and here's your blank, to prepare the way. To prepare the way. If you know his name, say it with me. John the Baptist. John the Baptist. You know, it's one thing to uh, have a prophecy kind of line up with one person. It's a whole other thing that another person who's supposed to come before would match up just perfectly, just on time, just out of the tribe, and, and, and be there and do all the exact things that are prophesied some 675 years before they happen. Isn't this unbelievable? Isn't it unbelievable? Listen to Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. It's right there in your program. This is the prophecy that said that John the Baptist would come and prepare the way for Jesus. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her uh, that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. You see? You see the purpose of Jesus, which is coming soon, that we'll talk about? Yes, the Lord has punished her twice for all her sins, the nation of Israel. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of our Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. Now, before we get to the last one, I didn't want, I didn't want you to go back and forth and get all confused. Now that you've seen that the person of Jesus was prophesied, the place of Jesus was prophesied, the, the uh, preparation for Jesus was prophesied, look in your Bible in, Ma- in the book of Matthew. And I want you to see where these connect before we hit our last one. The Genesis prophecy about Jesus being from the tribe of Judah. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 in your New Testament. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus. What's that name right there that we just talked about? Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. And who did Jacob begot? Judah. There is the confirmation of 1,500 years worth of prophecy. Move next uh, to the next one, to Micah, the place. Look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. You just flip over. It says, now after Jesus was born in, say it with me, Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. 
When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. The funny thing was, Herod, who was a king who had access to all the smartest people in the world, had to ask where Jesus would be born if he would have just opened up the book of Micah. He wouldn't have even had to send anybody. There wouldn't have been any question. He just would have went, if he knew the scripture, he would have went, oh, you need to go to Bethlehem because it was prophesied. And so they said to him, because they knew, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Isn't that amazing? The preparation, look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, to confirm Isaiah. Here comes John the Baptist, the the prophecy of preparation. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and he was saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you skip down into verse 3, it says, he's the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, just like Isaiah said in Isaiah 40, saying, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Your faith, can you just feel the roots going even deeper in truth and the light is showing in the darkness that we do have a savior. Here, humanity is not lost. We are not hopeless because we have great hope in Jesus Christ. And finally today, the last one that I want to share with you, not to boggle your mind, not to do 333. I'm not sure I could do 333 in a year, right? Uh, If I did try to pick one a day, I'm not sure I could comprehend it all. But here's the last thing and probably the most important thing that was prophesied about Jesus. It's the purpose for why he came. Many people believe that Jesus was just a prophet. He was just a good man, just a good teacher. But that is not the purpose that was prophesied, just like uh, we said before, 675 years, right? And, and what you may ask, Dave, why are you giving us the years of prophecy? Why are you telling us how far back? Because uh, many people, like you heard in the video, say, well, wasn't the Bible written kind of as a postscript, like it happened and then they went back and wrote it around Jesus' life? No, the, Jesus' whole life was, was already prescripted before he lived. It was foretold exactly what would happen. And this gives our faith credibility. And so here is the purpose that was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. That God had a solution to humanity's despair. And I want you, if, you're, if you're, uh, your head is hurting and maybe you're saying, man, I'm trying to follow this. Uh, and hopefully you hear it today. Um, I really want you to check back in right here to Isaiah chapter 9. Because this is why our Savior, Jesus Christ, came. Listen to this. And this is why we've, we've named our series, Light Up the Darkness. Here's what it says. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel. That's symbolic of God's people. And its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. Is there anyone who needs the heavy burden lifted today? This is the light of Christmas. 
that Jesus is here to lift your burdens, that he's here to forgive sin and to remove them and wipe them no more. Your past is gone. He says this, you will break the oppressor's rod. Satan has no choice. He has no chance. Just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian, the boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. And here's the, the, the scripture that gives us the purpose that was prophesied 675 years before the birth of Christ. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor. Who? Who's his ancestor? David, right, from Judah. For all eternity, the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Can we, can we bust up the purposes of God? It can't be done, can it? How many of you have been fighting God recently? You've been wrestling with him and struggling with him. God, no, this can't be my life. This can't be what you're doing. This can't be who you want me to be. You want to know what? God's purposes cannot be stopped because you have the Lord of heaven's armies making happen <laughs> what he wants to happen. And he's refining us. He's purifying us. Why? Because he wants us to look more like him this Christmas. That's why he came. Listen to Matthew chapter 1. Go back, flip back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And catch the fulfillment of this prophecy of the purpose of Jesus Christ. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ, which we know now means anointed one, from the Old Testament word Messiah, was as follows. After his Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of who? The Holy Spirit, born of God, fully God, yet fully man. This is what the scripture teaches. And because of this, he was able to fulfill the purpose of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. It was that day that a son was given to us, a king who would rule in fairness and justice, whose peace and rule would never end, out of the tribe of Judah connected to King David in the Old Testament. Wow. Wow. This is who we serve. This is why God is worthy of worship. And here is a great truth. I want you to write it down today. If Christmas is true then the rest of the Bible is true. If Christmas is true, and it is, the rest of the Bible is true, and God is asking you and I to go all in for him. There are other places beyond Christmas that God is saying, be holy, start to, start to drop the sin in your life. You know what he's saying? Drop the depression and have joy unspeakable, just like the wise men did that morning when they encountered Jesus. He is saying, because Christmas is true, you know what? Start treating people the way God has wired you to treat them, with the fruit of the Spirit, with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Start, 
Start living the life because this thing is true. And if it's true, start sharing your faith with your friends because if Christmas is real, heaven is real, hell is real. And you know what? God has commissioned us to be a church that spreads the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, how many of you in here have been changed by Jesus Christ? Have been, have been radically changed. It is our job not just to put that in a box and go in a closet, but to proclaim the truth of Christmas and to shine light in the darkness that Jesus is the Savior of this world. That is our job. It's kind of like a mom. Uh, I don't know about your mom, but when my mom found out the truth, oh, man, she was a hound dog. You know what I'm saying? We could lie to, I could lie to my mom. My brothers, I had three younger brothers. We could lie to our mom. And if, if her little mom sensor went off, she would go to no end. One time she even talked to a lawyer just to see. I'm not lying. Just to see if she was right. And if she, if she thought she was onto the truth. And when we get onto the truth, we need to have that same kind of sixth sense where we go after the truth and we want to know it and we want to live it and we want to be um, not only people who receive the light of Jesus, but people who shine the light of Jesus by the faith we know. So here's what the truth of Christmas reveals. Here's the take home. The truth of Christmas reveals, and this is your next blank, that God exists. God really exists. He's real. He's not a pie in the sky. He's not a part of your dreams. Christmas tells us that Jesus is real. Here's the second thing it tells us. God loves us. Some of us need to hear that in the room today. You walked in, and you need to hear it this Christmas because, man, you've screwed up. Or life has been tough, and you're wondering, why me? Why did I go through 2014? Why did it happen like that to me? I want you to hear today. That the light of Christmas, this truth that we talked about, it all comes down to a statement that God loves you. You see, the cross was about paying for sin and, and satisfying the wrath of God. But Christmas, no, not Christmas. Christmas tells us with open arms, God loves you. He loves me. He is for you, not against you. Isn't that a great thing this Christmas? To know that the God who could, who could inspire someone to write something down 1,500 years and cause it to be true 1,500 years later is the same God who loves you and can make it happen in your life. And here's the third takeaway. That this Christmas, God is bigger than your doubts. There are so many times we stare at our future and we doubt. We doubt that, that God can make anything of it. We doubt that we can become who God wants us to be. We doubt there's hope on the other side. And you know, there was four, some 400, 500 years of silence in the scriptures where all these prophets had written everything down and everybody's sitting there waiting going, I wonder if this Jesus thing really is going to happen. I wonder if there is a Messiah. I wonder if the Christ is going to be born. 400 years of silence, that's an awful long time, isn't it? That's a real long time. And you might feel like it's a real long time to wait for God to answer you in your dark places. But Christmas reminds us that God is the God who silences our doubts. He comes through. He's strong. 
every single time. He is mighty to save. If you believe that, can I ask you to say amen? Amen. That's right. And so today, as we come to a time of response and the the band comes up, um, I have a few uh, things I want to talk with you about. Number one is maybe if you today came in the room and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't know him. You say, you know what, I know Christmas, I know the Christmas story, I believe it, but I've never had the belief that saves. Today, you can make this the day that you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, who we just talked about, is so true and so real. You can begin that relationship today. And the Bible says that if you will believe on his work on the cross, that he really was God and that he really was sinless and died and shed his blood for our sin, if you believe that and turn from your way of living called repentance and live his way, the Bible says you will be saved. Listen, if you came today and you need to make that decision, we'd ask that you'd take that connection card. In fact, would everybody take the connection card out of your program? If you, if you have to make that decision today, just check that box, and when we sing, you'll have some time. You'll have some time to, to, uh, to stop. And there's a prayer in the back. It's not a magic prayer, but it's a prayer that you can express and say, God, this is what I want to do today. I want to place my life in your hands and trust you for my salvation. Will you come into my life and forgive me and save me? And the Bible says he'll do that. But for the rest of you, there, there are two, peop- two S's that I want to talk about, that the truth of Christmas helps. The first one is our struggles. If you walked in here today and you're struggling, the truth of Christmas says this, that you struggle toward believing God and trusting God in your future. Do not take the exit ramp that the world offers, but continue to walk in the truth and to trust God because he always comes through. He does what he says he's going to do, even in our struggles. And then the the last S is this our successes. Don't let the successes that have happened this Christmas, the successes that have happened this year, start to give you pride where you say, you know what, I got this handled. I can do it. I'm the one who makes it happen in my life. No, Christmas reminds us that we are to place our hands in the truth of our Savior, and we are to let him lead our life, no matter how successful we've been or how many struggles we've endured. That is light in the darkness. I invite you to stand with me as we pray, and then we'll sing and respond to the Lord, and you can do business with him. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I know today was a little bit more academic, but God, I thank you that the more we know about what's in your word, Lord, the more our strength is, our faith is strengthened, and God, the more our faith is strengthened, the more we become light that you can use. God, I thank you that Christmas reminds us that your word is true. God, I thank you that Christmas reminds us that you've had this all figured out since before time began. God, and if you know it that far in advance, God, help us to trust you with our today. Help us to trust you with our tomorrow.
Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. You can find out more about our church or listen to other messages at elevationbuildings.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.